Friends and frenemies. Anybody have any frenemies that you're willing to admit? Do you know what frenemies? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not preaching to Hannah. I'm preaching to you, maybe. And she's like, what? What? You know. Um, anybody have? Fr- do you know what frenemies are? Those are like friends who are like enemies, or enemies that you try to have them be uh, friends. And, <laughs> excuse me, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because um, I, I believe, well, she's up here. I have one kid that is already in this teenage cycle of, you know, the differences between guys and girls with friends. No, this may ring true to you. Boys, guys, typically, typically, when we are mad at each other, we just kind of go have at it, and whoever wins the fight that day, great, and we move forward and we move on. Um, girls, typically, they find out what kind of friend and frenemy circle they can create to be opposed to this other person. And it's, it's drama, drama with a capital, capital D. D. And, and, and then, then what, what happens, happens is the two people were at odds with each other. They find another common enemy. And the two people are resolved, but none of that 50 other people. And it's all about how many people can I get on my side. And whoever has the most wins that day until tomorrow when somebody else is upset with you about something. Jesus had friends, and he had frenemies, and then he had enemies. As the Gospel of Mark is going to uh, put out, and we have a saying in our world, uh, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Now, I will tell you, that didn't necessarily apply to Jesus. He wasn't too worried about keeping his enemies nearby. Now, they they tend tend to try to stay stay near him because they they were were always wanting to know what they could charge him with next. And And sometimes sometimes when there is a common enemy, you have people who typically would not unite, come together to be what we would call frenemies. They're really opposed except for at certain times. We're going to see this played out in the Gospel of Mark. One of the reasons I would say probably not to keep your enemies close is uh, is Scripture's pretty clear that those who are close to us influence us in many, many ways. The psalmist says this in Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And we have this idea, and rightfully so, where Scripture says, be careful who you are with. And this was very important in Jesus' day. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. And so who you hang out with will determine your character and our character will determine how we act. We can fake things for a while. But sooner or later, Jesus will say this in the Gospel of Mark, 
If it's not in this gospel, uh, the other says this. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is on the inside sooner or later will come out. And for all of us, but especially you young kids or younger kids, pick your friend group really well. And you adults that are still in the workplace, pick your co-workers as far as those that influence you very well. To those of you who are retired and your, your biggest voice is uh, the TV, pick your news source very well or what you watch very well. It will influence you. It will change your character if you're not careful. Be very careful there. In the world of Jesus, they, remi- they were reminded of this. And so there was this great struggle between, uh, in the Jewish life, the struggle from being separate from the world, separate from the Romans. There was two main groups that tried to be separate from the Romans as their heart. One, the Pharisees, because they understood that if they weren't careful, the character that they were called to live out would change. And then there was another group called the Essenes. These were the people of what we come to know as the Qumran community and valley. They were so worried about being separate from the world, they went off and never interacted with anybody who wasn't their own. Okay? They, they epitomize the idea that I said, we struggle to be in holy huddles. You know what I mean by holy huddles? Where we are always around fellow believers. That's a good thing. But we're always around them. We don't ever interact with anybody outside the church. This may be because of the busyness of the church. I remember there was a day when if you were to be a good Christian, you had to be at church not only Sunday morning, but Sunday night and Wednesday night. And then you had something else going on. And and by the way, there was a Saturday morning event that you needed to be on. And you could be so busy at church that you were never the church. And it is, in my opinion, no wonder many churches started to shrivel up in their holy huddle. This was the Essenes. And I love the Essenes, though I've never met any of them. Why? Because they died out many, many hundreds of years prior to my existence. Okay? But they gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls which if you've ever uh, noticed anything in the news, the Dead Sea Scrolls is an archaeological find that tells us Scripture. We have really early evidence that the Scripture is true. What we have is what was there. It hasn't been modified and changed. It's a tremendous thing. And so you had this struggle to be in holy huddles or to be separate from the world. You had others there that said, Ah, don't worry about being separate from the world. Just kind of go on with life. These would have been the Herodians. I mean, as their name kind of suggests, Herod was one they would have considered a friend. To some extent, the Sadducees were this way. They weren't as, uh, you know, separatist as the uh, Pharisees would be because they were comfortable. As long as the world of the Roman was giving them what they wanted, they didn't want to upset the Romans. 
And so this is the culture of Jesus' day. And so when, when Jesus comes onto the scene as we are reading in the Gospel of Mark, we got to realize there are people going, hey, I know Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the one who does not sit or does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the company of mockers. And now, all of a sudden, maybe you get this idea of why in Mark chapter 2, we read here that in verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why, my version here, okay, why in the world is he eating? Why is he sitting at the table in the company of mockers and sinners? Do you see the issue here? See, they were really trying to be faithful to make sure that their character and the character of God was not defiled, and they created a system in those days where they, you could know who was in and who was out, who got access, who did not get access. And it can be very easy for us in modern day 2024 to look at some of this and go, Really, what was their issue when sometimes we do very similar things? Who's in, who's out? How clean does someone have to be in order to be Christian? What struggles are they allowed to have or not allowed to have? Who gets, what gets highest priority in our list of don'ts, do's, and do's? You know, one could have looked very Christian in years past when all you were doing was attending church and you never had to live it out. And I'm here to tell you what the Gospel of Luke tells us, that Jesus came to do a new work. Not because the old way of doing things was bad and awful, but because he is God. And when he is God, God gets to do whatever he wants, right? Does God get to do whatever he wants? And if I'm upset with what God is doing, the issue isn't ever God. And sometimes we think, even today, that God is, we got him in kind of pigeonholed. He has to do it a certain way. And the Gospel of Mark is saying, no, no, no. Now, that doesn't mean a lot of the things we claim to be God, do I think, is really God. No, it's we've decided that God is going to bless what we think he ought to bless. And then when it doesn't go well, we'll blame him instead of our own choices. But here in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, we read a couple interesting stories that talk about this new work that continues the theme of chapter 1, where in the first days, first one, it says he's back in Capernaum, and he's teaching. And we have these friends who bring their crippled, paralyzed man friend to Jesus, and, and they do what really seems audacious to us, but we don't understand, I think, the culture of the day. They create a hole in the ceiling to lower this guy. Now, now Rusty, 
I'm sure you and every other trustee, if someone started to, to dig a hole right above me because they wanted to bring a friend down that way because they really thought I could do something amazing, you probably wouldn't be too happy to begin with, right? Because you're thinking, oh my goodness, we have a lot of plaster to work with, and oh my goodness, I've been up there, and oh, this ain't going to be cheap, this isn't going to be easy, and, and who in the world is going to do this, right? You know, and, and Van's over here, as soon as he sees that, he's calling his buddies, getting ready to go, hey, um, just stand by notice. Something really strange has happened at the Baptist church. I don't know what Pastor Jeremy's doing, but we bring your phones. We, this could be a doozy, you know? Uh, everyone's getting on standby. Now, in that day and age, they didn't have plaster, okay? And you go, duh, Captain Obvious, Pastor Obvious this morning. Okay, it was, it was uh, thatch roofs. They would have had to replace it every single fall before winter anyway. So it wasn't that big of a deal. It's kind of like them opening a window so ventilation can come in. All right? That is much easier. Trust me, I know it's much easier because my kids have broken screens and they have broken windows. I can take it down to the hardware store and they fix it for me. What was, what that, was that, Josiah? Josiah? Yeah, yeah you, you know, know too, too, huh? You know? No, no big deal. Most, Most of the time, I don't even tell Rusty what happened until afterwards because I just take care of it because my kids are the one who broke it. You know? We break, we pay. Or they, they break, I pay a lot of times. And, you know, uh, I really got to change that this next time. You know? Um, Daniel, did you ever pay me for the one you did? Okay, just checking. All right. So he comes in and he brings him down. And, and can you imagine? I mean, that's pretty amazing in and of itself. But I wonder, though, as I put myself in the story, how disappointed this man was at first and how disappointed his friends were at first. Because what is the words of Jesus in, in verse 5? He says this, Son, your sins are forgiven. And we kind of want to go, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't bring him here for forgiveness of sin. I brought him here so he could walk again. What is going on here? Jesus is doing something new here. And we, we can easily see this because what we have done in our day and age that they didn't do back then is that we compartmentalize most of life. You know, we, we like to argue that men, generally speaking, are like uh, waffles, each little square, you know, something's in it. And if you eat a waffle properly, in my opinion, every square has to have uh, syrup in it. You know, where ladies, generally speaking, uh, though I will tell you, with Alicia and I, we are totally flipped. Uh, probably no surprise to anybody who knows her and those of you who know me. Uh, women are typically, generally speaking, pancakes. It's just, it's all one big thing. You know, and, and when, when you, you put, put syrup, syrup in one spot, it goes everywhere else, else. Generally, generally speaking. All right. Like I said, Alicia and I are completely flipped. She's very good at being a waffle, um, and I'm very not good at being a waffle. Uh, it all gets put in there. In those day and age, they didn't think in nice, neat boxes that physical issues were just physical issues and mental issues were just mental and relational were just relational and spiritual were just spiritual. We do that, and I think we need to reintegrate. Okay? Because a change in one area changes another area. 
And we need to see that our relationships affect our health, both mentally, emotionally, and physically. And our physical health uh, changes the way we see spirituality. And our spiritual health changes our physical health. It's all there. You know, we come to this table in just uh, hopefully a few short minutes. You know, Paul said when, when he did this that there were some in the early church that got sick and, and died because spiritually they weren't right. And there are times when we are not spiritually right. The way our bodies try to tell us we are not spiritually right is sickness. And what Jesus is doing here is he sees the greater issue. He sees the greater issue is not whether he is physically well. It's whether or not he has access to God. And whether or not in his access to God, he understands who God is. Because this is a guy who wasn't ever allowed in the temple. He couldn't get there, one. And even if he could get there, he wasn't allowed to go in because he must have sinned. And if he was truly repentant of his sin, he would be up and walking and he could get there for teaching time. And you see what Jesus is doing when he proclaims your sins are forgiven. He has gone to the root issue of you think you have no access to God. Or, hey, those of you who are around because the Pharisees come. I better put that down before I take my hand that way and it goes that way. You know, uh, where the Pharisees, they say, wait a minute, who can forgive sins but God alone? Wait a minute here, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. There's a reason why he doesn't have access to God. Why don't you ask him about that? And Jesus says, I don't need to ask him about it. I can forgive. Wait a minute. He was unclean. Why are you pronouncing him clean? And we see what is going to get Jesus in trouble. We see at the outset of the Gospel of Mark what every demonic presence will proclaim. You are the Son of God. You are God. You are the Holy One from God. And Jesus isn't going to claim that because that title, Son of God, has a whole lot of political connotations going on. But he is going to do everything God can do. And people notice. And here he says, what is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, What an interesting question, right? See, a lot of times that's what Jesus does to us. We, we say something or we, we ask a question and Jesus responds with a question. Have you ever been in a conversation where that's the case? You say something, you ask a question and they ask a question back. Don't you just hate it? You know, I, I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. You know, um, but Jesus asked the question, which one's easier? I know, I know what, what you're, you're thinking. thinking. Sit back, just, just take, take notice, notice there. Son of them. But Mark is saying, here is Jesus who knows the thoughts and the hearts of others without them uttering a word. You aren't going to get anything by this, Jesus. And that's good news to those who respond. But he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So I tell to you, this man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Wow. Now, if the man never would have walked, got up from the mat, would Jesus' identity be any different? No. 
Here is a faith response that this man has to figure out. And how confused he and his friends at first may have been where Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and they're going, uh, what about the healing parts? What about this? And we don't know how much time went by. Maybe it was just a couple moments. Maybe it was five, ten minutes or so. And he's still laying there kind of going, what, I, don't, uh, I don't know what has happened here, but not what I thought was going to happen here. And Jesus says, I tell you what, so you know who I am and that I can do this. I'm going to tell him now the harder part. Get up and walk. And the man then has to obey the words of Jesus and get up and walk. How amazing of that. What an amazing work that is going on. And then once again, Jesus goes out and about. And he finds somebody and he says, follow me. He was a tax collector. Now, the, the argument is, is uh, was he uh, Matthew? We don't know. It says Levi, son of Alphaeus. We, there's another disciple named son of Alphaeus. His name isn't Levi in any of the list. We'll get to that maybe a little bit. You know. The point maybe is, is that uh, what, what Jesus is more concerned about is not just the 12, but anybody who will respond to the call. And he goes and Jesus sits down and has dinner at Levi's house or dinner at Jesus' house. There's a little debate and tax collectors and sinners come by. And so he's now not just standing with people who are unclean. That's chapter one. He's not just touching people who are unclean, the paralyzed man. He is now sitting at a table with those who do not have access to God according to the Jewish standards. And that's why the Pharisees and others, they don't dare go in the house. Because see, their approach to sin was very much preventative. Great approach to sin. We ought to have that. But preventative in the idea of, Clay, if you're sinning, and if, and if, you, if I think you are sinning, okay, I'm going to stay away from you because I don't want you to defile me so I don't have access to God. How close would I ever get to Clay? Clay, how close would I get to you? Not very close. All right. I'll pick someone that we all can agree is a tremendous saint, right? Joyce, you don't ever sin, right? Okay. You, 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 see, there's a lot of wisdom right there in how she responded, okay? I might get pretty close uh, to Joyce because, you know, we all know she, I mean, she may be honorary at times, but really she's a pretty holy person, okay? And, and maybe on the days that I can't be around Joyce, I'm going to buddy up to Ron Clutter here because Ron Clutter knows it all, okay? You have a PhD in something, right? Okay, yeah, it is a Ph.D. in something. I think it is church history and theology. Okay, wow, I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? All right, I don't have that, okay? I'm not looking for that. So I'm going to go, because he knows all the answers. Uh, and, and yeah, he's already going, oh, don't, don't you say, you know. Uh, he, has, he has forgotten more than most of us will ever know about Scripture, okay? You know, and I could go, Ron, you are, you are the keeper of the interpretation of Scripture. So tell me. Uh, should I allow my daughter to wear pants or should she be in skirts? And whatever he says, I'm going to do that because I want to make sure I'm right. You don't have to answer that question. Don't give me that look. It's not about you. It's about Ron and I, okay? 
Maybe, depending on what Mr. Ron says. So you better buddy up to Mr. Ron. Okay, yeah, I figured you would just for the fun of it. You know, and because I trust Ron, Ron may go, hey, Jeremy, did you pray today? Well, yeah, I said lots of prayers today, but no, did you pray the, the Shema, that hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Did you do that today? And I go, uh-oh, I forgot. And he goes, well, better luck tomorrow. See, because that's how the access of God was doing. And what Jesus is creating is new access to God. He's taking God away from the temple, not because the temple was bad, but the temple wasn't to be the object of the, the nation of Israel's faith. It was the God that the temple couldn't hold anyways, according to Solomon and others. It was he's creating new access to God. Those who can't come to him. Levi and his friends, they would never be welcomed in that temple, ever. They were enemies. And these weren't the enemies you kept close. These were enemies you kept away because they may defile you. And he says, I come to them. And he says this, it is the healthy who need a doctor. Not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the quote-unquote righteous, but sinners. And how does he do it? He goes and finds them. What is the mission of the church? To be like Jesus, right? Is the mission of the church to be like Jesus? Okay, all right, someone. I thought maybe, I mean, maybe it's just me. To be like Jesus must mean we live like Jesus. He didn't condone sin. He didn't allow the sin of others to creep into his life. He was sinless, but he also went out to those who weren't coming in to say there is new access. Mark 15 says this, the curtain of the temple when Jesus was crucified was torn in two from top to bottom. The key there is top to bottom. It is a proclamation at the end of Mark, what he is already doing at the beginning of the Mark, that Jesus takes down the barriers that were in place of the first century Jews so that anyone and everyone who wanted access to God could get it. Everyone and anyone. He was creating new standards of living. And the old wasn't going to do it. Any more. The old could not do it any more. Jesus was giving wholeness, not just holiness. I think that sums up the whole question about fasting. The whole question about fasting was to prove how holy you were in many mindsets. It was to prove that God really had his favor on you, or it was trying to prove that you needed God's favor so you would fast in order to try to gain God's favor. And Jesus says, I've come that you get whole, not just act holy. Friends, if our holiness does not lead to wholeness, then I would submit we've missed the point of holiness. And we're just holy, like with holes on it, like Swiss cheese. And that's not the way of Jesus. The healing here is not just a physical healing, but it is a physical and a spiritual healing because Jesus is more interested in 
conquering the final enemy and not just a symptom of the final enemy. No wonder then Jesus will tell Paul in Corinthians, my grace is sufficient. Many times we can get in the way of the grace of Jesus because we think it has to be somewhere else when his grace is sufficient. I received word uh, when Dan was praying that Liz Bost has gone on to glory. Precious. See, this is the grace of Jesus, the grace that changes everything of Jesus. When we know this, the psalmist says, and we can proclaim on the life of Liz, that precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saint. And she was a saint because she knew who Jesus was. We can take a different change because of the grace of Jesus. We know that her last breath was uh, here on earth became that transition of the first breath of glory. Okay? Now, does that mean it doesn't hurt? Oh, no, 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 no. This is why Scripture and even Jesus himself, he doesn't say do not grieve. He says just grieve with hope. Because the grace of Jesus changes everything. The grace that we celebrate at this table changes everything. Or it changes nothing. You want to be a friend of Jesus. You want to be known as a friend of God. Then I would ask that you submit to the grace of Jesus. The grace that changes everything. Does it make life easy? <laughs> Far from it. But it changes our perspective and our hope in all of life. Friends, Jesus says, no one sews a patch of unshrink cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new will pull away from the old, making everything worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. Wine wasn't just a drink. It was a livelihood. It was much safer than some of the water of the day. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm doing something new. Not because the old was bad, but the old can't contain the new. And friends, if you want Jesus to do a new work in 2024, then you may have to let him give you new wineskins so you can, can carry the newness of Jesus in this day. And so we transition now to this table of the hallmark of Jesus doing something new. I mean, he took an old feast and he decided he was going to put a new meaning to some of the symbols of that feast. Bread and wine. Or in our case, because we're Baptists, grape juice. You know? Because, well, that's what we do. Why? I'm sure there's real good reason. Doesn't matter. Does, but doesn't matter. What matters is what this symbolizes. This symbolizes the newness. Jesus said this is the new covenant in him. So 